Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is your host, Puka, and as always, I'm here with my all-star panel, uh, Bert Lehman. How we doing, Bert? How was Halloween? Uh, Halloween was fine. We're doing good here. Uh, supposed to be some snow to the southern part of the state tonight. <laughs> yeah, every, just... time, every time we have a podcast, it's supposed to snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. And, uh, did you avoid last week's? Uh, we just got a dusting here. Okay, so nothing, nothing big came. So, and also joining us tonight on the All Star Line is Ryan Ahill. Ryan, I know you had a busy weekend doing some racing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. How you doing, bud? Yeah, perfect. Yeah, having, uh, yeah, just uh, rocking and rolling, ready for a great show. Well, let's do her. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we'll get right into it. As always, time is limited. We're three busy guys here, so. Uh, we're going to get into it this week right away. Uh, coming up this weekend, November 7th, 8th, and 9th, the Can-Am World Finals at the Dirt Track at Charlotte. Uh, you know, billed as a, a spectacular event, they're saying that they're expecting fans from all 50 states and nine foreign countries. So with that, Ryan, thoughts on this year's Can-Am World Finals? Well, I tell you what, it's kind of an interesting storyline. You know, they got the big blocks there, and I'm not real familiar with those because they're all on the East Coast. But, you know, the, the sprint car deal, that has come down to the wire. I mean, only eight points separating Brad Sweet and uh, Donnie Schatz. Uh, that's going to be an extremely great storyline throughout the weekend. And then there's a little storyline in the late models, too. You know, B-Shep, he's, uh, you know, tied right now with the most wins in a single season with uh, Kid Rocket. And they at, at 18. And he's at 18 again with two shows to go. So he has the championship line already locked in, but uh, he's looking to break that record. He wants to stand alone as uh, the, the winningest season in World of Outlaw late model history with uh, trying to break that record. So really excited for the weekend. Yeah, crazy. I mean, he has, you know, 18 wins and 39 races. Obviously, they're going to have two more feature events. If he were to sweep them both, he would have 20 wins in 41 races. It'd be virtually half. And his... His um, earnings total so far this year, $312,575. So pretty incredible. Uh, Bert, uh, what are you expecting this weekend at the World Finals? Oh, I'm expecting uh, some pretty good racing to be taking place there. Um, you know, I'm, not, I'm also not as familiar with the big, big blocks, but uh, the points battle for the sprint cars, you know, it, it normally doesn't come down to the last race of the year, so that's very exciting. And the late models always put on a great show. Uh, I I just wish it was on TV like like it used to. They used to broadcast that that live. Yes, I remember. I remember that too. Yeah, one time. So yeah, they're saying. Uh, so obviously, um, you know, it's the World of Outlaw Group. So we're gonna have the Nas Energy Drinks, World of Outlaw Spring Cars, and have the Morton Buildings, World of Outlaw Late Models, and then the Super Dirt Car Big Block Mods. 60,000 people is the estimated attendance. They're expecting Saturday to be the 11th consecutive year of Saturday night being sold out. So, um, you know, it's to me, the cool thing is it seems like this is just, you know, NASCAR has got its biggest race as its first race where this really seems like, you know, it's, it's almost a playoff atmosphere in the sense that, it's, you know, it's not a playoff in the sense of NASCAR where they're kind of coming down to the line with, with the, this chase and all that, but you know, you're going to 
literally a facility that's owned by a fortune, maybe 1000 company. Um, you know, like I said, 60,000 fans, first class facility. So it's got to feel good for the fans to be at a you know, nice, clean, great facility. It's got to feel great for the racers to come somewhere that's a first class facility and have all these fans. And then, like I said, some of the guys are going to get big checks. So I think it's really cool how the world of outline when they started this, they kind of, you know, to end the season with a bang and a real, I, I think it just reflects really well on the sport. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, and us northern folks up here, you know, I tell you, there's a lot of people that have been talking about, man, we should just get on a plane and fly down there. It's a heck of a lot warmer down there, you know, but to close out the season with a bang, you know, that's an exciting deal. And is it, I believe, isn't this on pay-per-view? Is it on Dirt Vision? Is that correct? I'm not I'm not sure, but I'm sure it's got to be something you can watch it somewhere on pay-per-view. Uh, yeah. I remember it used to be on cable. They would broadcast it live, uh, but it seems like more and more of everything racing-wise is going to pay-per-view. Um, but, but yeah, this is a unique event because, I mean, you're talking about the attendance. I mean, you're bringing three different fan groups into one race facility, you know, to see the big blocks, the sprint cars, and the late models. And so, you know, it, it's helpful for all the divisions involved because it introduces it to people that maybe not follow that division as close. Oh, for certain, for certain. And yeah, I, dirt vision, I think they do all of the events, you know, or at least on the sprint car side, I'm pretty sure dirt vision does every night. And then um, I do see that dirt on dirt is going to be broadcasting live also. So, so um, do either of, you know, I mean, anyone that's going down, I mean, either a fan or a racer. Oh, I, I know some fans <laughs> that go there. Okay. okay. I believe Brent Larson is uh, taking the taking his ride down from Minnesota. I actually saw him on Facebook warming up his engine. So it looks like he's taking the Arnie Ranta ride, the dry Dean car down the B1 bomber, I guess it would be called down there. So pretty excited to see him represent, you know, our area. And then of course, you know, Ricky Weiss, you know, he, uh, he locked up that rookie of the year title for world of outlaws. So, He's heading down from Winnipeg, so I guess he's fairly local, you know, in, in our area. He's always been a Wasoda guy, uh, former national champ uh, multiple times in Wasoda. So those are those are two guys there that I'm personally going to be keeping an eye on. Yeah, for certain, exactly. Yeah, that's great to uh, have some blood from the area down there. And my only complaint, you know, like I said, we're getting back to this, you know, this is, this, you know, this huge company, Fortune 500 or maybe Fortune 1000 on the stock market, the whole deal. I'm looking at their webpage as we're prepping for the show. And the, the limited amount of that was available as far as the actual racing agenda was really surprising to me. I actually had to make a phone call on Sunday. And, yes, their, their ticket booth is open on Sunday from 12 to 5 Eastern. Uh, spoke with a really nice woman with a really thick southern drawl. Um, she kind of helped me out. But, you know, I, I, I thought it was going to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three complete shows. But then she uh, informed me that Thursday is just they have uh, um Kind of like a, a, I don't want to call it a prelude, but like a big introduction and a big welcoming ceremony, like an opening ceremonies, and then they'll run some heat races Thursday, and then they'll they'll set up the features for Friday. So, um, Charlotte, if you're listening, you need to improve your webpage just a little bit so fans actually know kind of an order of events and what they're paying for. You get you put all the prices on on the website, but you didn't tell us uh, what we were getting. So, um, I thought that was interesting. But moving on from there, we are going to do some picks here now. Uh, We'll we'll pick Friday. We'll pick Saturday. So why don't we do? And then we'll pick the the points. So we're just going to pick the late models and sprints. 
So, Bert, why don't we? Uh, why don't you start off uh, what you're thinking on uh, Friday night? Who's gonna Who's gonna hit victory lane? Um, for the late models, I'll pick Davenport for the late models. So Davenport, it is. And who are you picking for the sprints? Um, I'm not as familiar with the sprints, but I will go with Brad Sweet. Brad Sweet, all right. <clears throat> so Friday. <laughs> Davenport and sweet. How about you, Ryan? What are you thinking well, on Friday night? Well, I, I tell you what, I am absolutely going to pick B chef. He's going to win night one down there. Um, he's got three wins down there already and he is absolutely bolted. Um, had just a phenomenal season. And I think he's going to continue that and go down there and win night one. And, uh, in the sprint cars, you know, I tell you what, Donnie shots, I, uh, I believe Donnie Schatz has 12 wins at the dirt track down there in at uh, Charlotte. And I'm going to, I think he's going to throw a little drama into the mix. I think that's my pick to win night one to set up an incredible dramatic finish for that championship on day two. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. And you are correct. And in, uh, in looking at uh, some of the stuff, it looks like he does have 12 wins down there. So yeah, boys. So that's, uh, um, for my Friday picks, you know, uh, last year's winner was B Shep on night one in the late models. Uh, Ian Madsen was actually the winner in the sprint cars. And Ian Madsen went on to win the rookie of the year title last year in the world of outlaw sprint cars. And I'm just gonna, you know, I'm going to get back to a guy Ryan was talking about. I'm going to get back to this little bit of rookie of the year stuff. And, you know, he's been loyal to the, the series all year long. He's been close. You know, he hasn't got there, but you got to think of what's going to happen on Wednesday night or Thursday when he pulls into the pits. He's going to drive up and he's going to pull up right to a guy from Chickamauga, Georgia, who's going to be a future late model Hall of Famer in um, Dale McDowell. And then he's going to, on the other side, a guy's going to pull up to him, probably the hottest racer in late model racing right now in the zero M with Chris Madden. And then behind him, the GOAT. Scott Bloomix is going to pull in who won last year on, on Saturday night. So with all the stars aligning and all the help he's going to get from those guys, I'm picking Ricky Weiss to take home Friday night's late model portion. And I'm also with you, Bert. I think um, Brad Sweet is kind of the guy I'm looking for. He has never won. You know, he's obviously your point leader. I'm just picking him to have a big night on Friday night and, uh, and closing it up. Uh, for himself. So Saturday, Bert, who do you got? Uh, I am going to go with Bishop on Saturday night. Last race of the season, he's going to be the last winner of the season. And in the sprint cars, I'm going with Donnie Schatz. Schatz. Sweet. Ryan, what are you thinking? <clears throat> well, in the late models, what's interesting in the points is second through fifth, right? 32 points separate second through fifth. So I like Ricky Weiss. He's a he's a dark horse for me. I'm picking him as my dark horse to win one of those two nights. But the hottest guy, like you said, the hottest guy over over the long haul this year that's been just bolted is Chris Smokey Madden, and, and that's going to be my pick for night number two with Madden. Awesome. Now in the sprint cars, I'm flip-flopping here with Bert, right? So I, I'm picking I'm picking shots to win day one to set up a dramatic finish, and and I have Brad Sweet winning day two to lock down. Um, I guess it would be 
I, I don't think Brad Sweet has ever won a World of Outlaws title, right? I think he has not won one yet. So I have him, I have him locking down his championship on night two by winning the feature and the championship in the same night. Yes, you are correct. Brad Sweet has not won a title yet. So, and my right. and Puka, my uh, my dark horse there for the sprint cars. I'm going to touch on that too. Uh, David Gravel, he's third in points, and and he's been very fast all year long too. So. Keep an eye on that David Gravel. He, he's a he's a very good runner, and I, I'm thinking he might have a shot to win one of those nights as well. Yeah, I mean he's only you know 96 points out, and and uh, Sweet and Shots have 63 top tens. Um, they've entered, of course, all the events. He only has 59 top tens. So you know, it seems like when he's placed, he's placed really high because he's you know he's got four less top tens than those guys, and he's, you know only being 96 points out after this long, long season. So I agree, he could potentially be you know, your dark horse on Saturday night on Saturday for me, like I said, last year, Bloomquist won the late models. Um, and I just think this, you know, he's just going to keep the momentum. Uh, Bishop has not won in the last six races that they've raced for the world of all that late models. That's the longest stretch he's gone without a win this year. So I am going to put him, uh, padding that 312, some thousand dollars in earnings that he already has for the year. I'm going to put Bishop on top on Saturday night in the late models. And if I were a betting man in the sprints, I'm going to go with the veteran. Like you said, 12 victories at the dirt track. And I think Donnie Schatz is going to bring it home in dramatic fashion on Saturday night. So let's move on to the late model points. How do you think things will shake out if you are a betting man, Bert? Um, can I get back to you on that one? Let me look <laughs> at the points. <laughs> I'm assuming Bishop. I I just assumed he had it all sewed up already. Well, well, he 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 does. Yeah, he does. Okay. He, he he does in in first place. I just wonder if he had any comments. Oh, okay. so no. so so Bert, I'll, I'll kind of give you the rundown there. Bishop's leading. He's got this baby locked up. But uh, Chase Dungans or Youngins, I guess it would be Chase Youngins. He's second. Uh, Lanigan is in third. Shane Clanton is in fourth. And Ricky Weiss, uh, your rookie of the year, is in fifth. Now. What's interesting is second, first is decided, but second through fifth, there's only 32 points separating second through fifth. That That is like throw them all in a hat and pick them out because there's going to be a lot of very good race cars down there this weekend, and anything can happen in those two nights. But I got to be honest with you, and maybe I'm a homer, right? But I am, I am picking Ricky Weiss to jump ahead of that pack and if not in the second, I pick him to, to cap off the weekend in style, crawl up into the top three, and finish out his rookie campaign in a big way. Awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. I, 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 I've got this same kind of feeling. Like I said, we got this playoff atmosphere. And like I said, Ricky's going to be surrounded with, with Madden. And he's going to be surrounded with, with Bloomquist, last year's winner. I mean, he can say, you say, Ricky, this is exactly how I had the car last year. He's going to have McDowell. They're all going to be there. And I, I, I'm liking Ricky's chances of pole vaulting, you know, from fifth place right now to second place. Now, obviously, it's going to take some luck and, and maybe, you know, some guys like Junghan's breaking or something like that. But I, I'm going to go with Ricky second. I'm going to put Lanigan in third. I'm going to put Chase moving all the way back to fourth and Shane Clannon moving from fourth to fifth. You know, I mean, I know Chase Junghan has, has chased the series, you know, for several years, but he's, I, I don't know, he just, I think he just got his first win last year or this year. So I just don't, you know, I, I just don't, I'm not confident that he's, he's a, you know, a second place performer. I'm happy for him if he does and all that, but I just, I just don't feel he's got the momentum to really carry that, um, 
you know, forward and, and to hold that runner-up spot. Is Chase so, the driver who won the outlaw race at Menominee? You know, he, yes, that, I think that is it. And I think that was his first one. I think you are yeah, correct. Yes. He only has one win. I have the point standings brought up now on my computer. And yeah, okay. he only has one win this season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and I think that was his first ever, if, if I'm, if I'm uh, not mistaken, I think it was his first ever world of all uh, late model win. And like I said, I know he's, he's been on the series for a few years, but so I, I just, like I said, I'm just not that confident he'll be able to nail down that runner up spot. Well, so let's move. It, yeah, it, it should be a good battle between uh, second and fifth place. Uh, they are very close. And uh, I do find it interesting that Lanigan is third in points. And, you know, last couple of years with the Lucas series, you know, he he wasn't up near the top. So it, it's amazing what a change in series does. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, you know, this is, I mean, I'm sure he's he's going to, you know, his check's going to be much bigger this year than, than what he's got the, the previous few years. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I got to assume that he's pretty happy with his decision to run the Outlaws versus Lucas this year. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to the uh, uh, points in the uh, uh, sprint cars, Bert. Why don't you uh, let us know what you got in the mix there? Well, Brad Sweet is up on top, so... And I picked him to win Friday night. So even though um, shot, I picked shots for Saturday night, I think Brad Sweet will, will win the championship in the sprint car division. Ooh, big one. Big, bold prediction. Ryan, what do you, you think? You know, I, I, I'm on the same boat. You know, Donnie Schatz, it's, how do you pick against him, right? I mean, the guy has 10 World of Outlaw titles, 12 wins down there. I mean, he is one of the best sprint car races racers in the history of the sport. But I think there's going to be a changing of the guard, right? Brad Sweet coming in with that small lead. And I'm telling you, that could change in a heartbeat. But Brad Sweet has been very cool, calm, collective. And what's interesting to me is this is the first year that, that Donnie Schatz in a long time didn't have the most wins, right? Right. So, so Brad Sweet is coming in, into this weekend with the most wins. The first time in a long time somebody other than Shots has done that. And uh, I tell you what, I, I you know I like them both, but I'm, I'm picking Brad Sweet and uh, have a changing of the guards to take home his uh, first championship. Awesome. Yeah, 63 top 10s for the both of them. They both entered all 70 events, and the two, they each have 63 top 10s. Just talk about amazing consistency. And obviously, you know, professional race crews for all the help and the maintenance and everything they got to do and keep pounding up and down the road. So that is that is a pretty amazing feat. So while like I said, I, I picked Brad Sweet, you know, to win on Friday night and I picked Donnie to win on Saturday night. And I'm 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 counting on Brad popping a tire on Saturday night. Um, if, if he even qualifies, maybe he'll pop a, a tire in the heat and then he'll get blasted. Uh, with some back markers in the B and not even make the A main. And Donnie Schatz will sail to his 11th title with the World of Outlaw Spring Cars. So that is kind of where I'm, I'm going with the, with the title here. So we will uh, we'll revisit this next week, uh, uh, next week's show, you know, after uh, everything uh, comes to a head here on, on Saturday night. So we'll, uh, I've got the picks here, and uh, we'll kind of see how we all play out come next week. So... All right, so we'll put the Can-Am World Finals behind us. And it's time, Bert, to move on to an article that we uh, came across uh, that was pretty interesting, pointing to the potential for someone, and namely Scott Bloomquist is who they are talking to, potentially coming up 
with more of a NASCAR style team. I remember back in the day around the year 2000 when Dale Earnhardt had started his uh, DEI. And I remember one of the commentators saying, you know, Earnhardt wants that. What was it? It would have been his eighth title, right? Him and him and Richard had seven each. Yes, I believe. And it was his Mm -hmm. eighth title. And then someone saying, well, you know, if you can't win it, he's going to buy it by putting people on the track like his son and like Michael Waltrip Jr. And like, um, was it Richard Parks? Steve Parks. Steve Parks. Okay. Oh, Richard Parks is a person that me and Ryan know. Steve Parks. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all I can remember was the Parks. I remember it was the Pennzoil kind. I remember it was number one. So, yep. um, and so the article basically said, you know, is dirt track late model racing morphing into a similar um, fashion as far as multi-car teams? So, Bert Lehman, that is the question for you. Going forward, will, at least on the traveling side, for the guys that are following the major circuits, do you see multi-car teams, maybe three and four, teaming up together uh, to chase the money? Um, it wouldn't shock me at all if if that happened. I mean, we kind of have that a little bit with uh, uh, the Boyer team, uh, with uh, Don O'Neill and um, uh, Kid Rocket, although he's not called Kid Rocket anymore. <laughs> Rocket Man. <laughs> um, and I mean, that's kind of been the trend. NASCAR team type stuff, you know, because actually dirt late model racing now has a silly season, just like NASCAR does where drivers are switching team owners and, you know, you, you need to get a media guide to find out who's racing for what team. So, yeah, I, I, I see that becoming more and more in the future. Ryan thoughts on multi-car teams for these, these traveling uh, late model series guys. Well, I think I think there's always been multi-car teams. You know, maybe not same car owner, but a lot of these chassis builders, you know, they're working with three, four, five guys anyway, right? So I I believe it's always kind of been there, but maybe maybe not quite as tight knit. And Bloomquist is the guy. If anybody's going to do it, it's going to be him. I know he partnered up with Cody Sommer here just recently mainly as a, as, as a marketing guy, somebody to kind of run the show, take care of the money, take care of the business side of the sport. And, and obviously, if he's looking to do that, he has some goals in mind. And, you know, he's already had success here with Madden, of course. You know, and then, you know, maybe, maybe a Shannon Babb, maybe Weiss falls in there. But some of these guys have some big budgets already. And, and a lot of these guys, racers are unique. I'm telling you, you know, they'll, they'll kind of go wherever they have to go, wherever the money is and do what they got to do. But it's, it's crazy that they're so independent that I don't know how that would work out. Scott Bloomquist, he likes to win, period. I mean, that guy flat out will do whatever it takes to win. And I don't know what that would do if he had four type A personalities within the same group, I don't know if he's that kind of guy that's able to step back and say, well, as long as my guys are winning, I'm good with it. I, I just don't see it. I could never do it. I was a racer. There's no way I could have been. I mean, now that I'm not racing, I'm like, man, I'm happy for that guy. But when I was racing, I, I could be helping people all day long. And if I didn't win, I'm like, I don't care. I don't want anybody else to win. And uh, so I, I think it's going to be unique to see what happens. Well, that certainly is a good point on the competitive side. My thoughts were, you know, one thing that they did bring up in the article is, is how favorable something like this could be for a major sponsor. And maybe this is what would bring 
you know, a Fortune 5 company into dirt track racing where instead of being an exposure on, you know, one car, you know, we're going to be exposed to uh, TMAC, you know, but you've got a four-car team, you know, and then and then perhaps two of those cars are running the World of Outlaw series and two of those cars are running the Lucas series. You're at different cities all the time moving around. You're getting all that exposure. And my thought was um, whether it happens or not, yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously – we'll see it in the future here down the road, but I know that the, you know, the positive would be, you know, it would be very favorable for, you know, somebody that wants to really invest some, some marketing dollars to these guys that are going up and down the roads. I mean, if you had four haulers painted up for, you know, Pepsi Cola or what have you, I think there'd be value there. Um, and even just my thoughts on Scott Bloomquist, as far as doing it, you know, they're, you know, everyone knows that hauler that he built. And I, I don't know if these are just rumors, you know, you guys might have some clarity on it, but I heard that thing got repoed. Of course, there's always been drug rumors. with, with Scott <laughs> so, so even if it does happen, will it necessarily be Scott Bloomkiss? That's the first guy to do it. I don't know. Well, <laughs> it's kind of interesting that you say that. There's, I, with, with Scott Bloomquist, he's kind of like the heel in WWE, right? You know, they, <laughs> there's certain people love him, certain people hate him, but he's always being talked about. He's kind of, you know, he's a unique individual, but he's a marketing genius, and he really doesn't have to do anything other than be himself, right? And <laughs> so all these rumors go around, and I, I know the one of the biggest reasons he hired Cody is he a competitive guy, likes to win, likes to gamble. He also used to go to the – still does, goes to the casinos all the time. And, and I know that he could go and win hundred grand on a Saturday night and have nothing left on Monday because he just – he was willing to throw it all on the table. So, you know – it, with with Cody Sommer coming on board and kind of taking the reins of the business side, that's the one thing that would make it possible. If Bloomer had to run that shit by himself, there's no way. There's just no way that could happen. But with Cody there, I, I see that as maybe a possibility. Yes. Anything more, Bert? Yeah, I, I would agree agree with that and like you said i mean the rumors around bloomquist i mean you don't know what's true and what's not true but speaking from a marketing standpoint and a merchandising standpoint uh i mean if he would put together a stable of drivers to drive his cars i mean his the the collectibles and t-shirts for those other drivers would start selling a lot more than what they are now just because they're associated with Scott Bloomquist. I mean, that's how rabid his fans are. If Absolutely. You're just, if you're associated with them, they will support you. That, that's such a great point. And I remember when I was just starting to watch some of these traveling late models, I was, I was in a souvenir area and I heard some, some gentleman, this was early 90s, yeah, that's Scott Bloomquist, you know, half the shirts in the grandstands are his, the other half's everyone else. And you know what, you know, after being around it for 20 years, I think the guy was right, you know, I mean, or, 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 you know, maybe not so much anymore, but there definitely was a time when there were a lot of black shirts with skulls on them in those. I mean, there are a lot, but you know, this guy's claim was about half. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how many bush lights he had already had that day, but you know, I think, you know, there was, you know, it, it's held on in my mind for 20 years. So there must've been some validity to it. Well, you, you say that, and what's crazy to me is I, I've never been a Bloomquist fan. I respect him. He's one of the best ever, right? But I was always a Billy Moyer fan, right? I love mm -hmm. the 21. I mean, he was my guy, and I hated Bloomquist, but I bought both shirts, right? <laughs> you know? So I, I, I think I think Bert's right on the money there. Yeah, that's a great point. Great point, Bert. So, well, we'll see. We'll uh, see what happens down the road. So let's move on. Uh, to the 50th annual World 100 coming up in 2020. 
Uh, the Saturday night feature will be held on, ironically, September 11th of 2020. And for those of you that may have been following or may some of you that may have been to the track, which I have and I know which Bert has, um, you know, they have a, a real popular split, 50-50 split the pot each and every major event. And last year's winner of the 50-50 split the pot claimed, well, unclaimed a prize of $35,586. That, that was, that was only Friday night's winner. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Friday. Yep. Okay. Cause Saturday night, the, the Saturday night, the winning 50, 50 ticket holder got like $83,000. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 80, $80,489 was, was the amount. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. winner so on right. Saturday yeah. night. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I got more than the more than the feature win. Be, because the the thing was they were trying to break the record from the King's Royal, which was earlier in the year when the sprint cars were there. So yep, sure. and, and they did break the record. Okay. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so so the current news on this is next year, because the, the Friday night is still unclaimed, so the uh, staff at Eldora has decided to start the fifty fifty split the pot next year on Saturday, September 11th, with that $35,586 paycheck. So, Bert, like I said, you've been to this track. You've seen the excitement. What are your thoughts? Um, it's it's really good. Uh, that, that jackpot could get over 100000 <laughs> you know, it, since you're already starting out at that high. Um, but, yeah, I was there this year when – it was 80,000 on Saturday night and they, they really do a great job of promoting it. They have people walking through the stands with digital components, selling tickets. You, you get a printout with your tickets. So you don't have to go to a designated area. They come right to you and you can also buy them online somehow. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but it, it'll be quite a, quite a draw. Ryan, anything to add on Eldora? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, that's going to be that's going to start out on Friday. So that's going to go towards the Fridays. Split the pot is what that's oh, going to okay. go towards. Oh, I misread that. I'm sorry. Okay. Yep, but but that's okay. But uh, with that said, you know, I honestly think that's going to be more interesting than who wins the race because <laughs> I'm here to tell you that there is, if anybody thinks that Scott Bloomquist is not going to win that race, they're crazy because I would <laughs> I would put all my money on Bloomquist absolutely dominating the 50th 50th annual uh, world 100 on there but that split the pot deal i'm here to tell you that i'm probably whether i go to the event or not i will be watching it so i can assure you that this is going to entice me to buy a few tickets myself you know a chance to win that kind of money it's it's crazy i mean and uh, what an opportunity and this is something that all racetracks really need to pay attention to because i was looking at the the website for eldora speedway and, and they actually have a whole section there on their split the pot and rules and regulations. I mean, they're legit, right? They are, they absolutely are making, making sure they do this the right way. Cause they're talking a lot of money, but there's a lot of big races throughout the country that could do exactly the same thing. And if you think about it, split the pot is 50, 50. Now um, this goes to the Tony Stewart foundation. So Tony doesn't keep this money. This goes right to his foundation he doesn't profit from this. It goes right into charity, which is just, that's a great deal. A lot of tracks could do the same, but there's a lot of tracks out there, guys, hurting for, for money that have some big shows that could get a boost of $10,000, $30,000 if they did the split the pot and followed this model. You know, I think some other, uh, other racetracks need to pay attention to this. 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. And, and like I said, I've been to Aldorla as, as you have. Have you been there, Ryan? I have not. I have not yet. I was always so, racing, so I never had a chance to really watch races. I was always racing myself. Yeah. So, so Bert and I have been there, and there's actually a you know like a digital billboard that's scrolling constantly with the fifty fifty amount. So it's you know you just like I said, people are buying tickets on the front stretch, on the back stretch, in the camping area, and like Bert was saying, they do it online, and so that number is just ticking up as the races. You know, I was at the World One Hundred last year when they did. Uh, it was rained out in September, so they did in October of 18. And, and so they had a, a day race uh, to get the Friday portion in. And then we, they cleared the grandstands and they had the Saturday portion. And, you know, so we, I think we started racing at noon. And so that thing just, just for hours, 10 hours, just click, 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 just, you know, up and up and up and up. So, it's, you know, it adds, that adds to the drama too, because you're looking at it and say, oh my gosh, it's up to 20 grand. I should buy another ticket, you know, but it just morphs, you know, it just keeps morphing. You know, well, so it's just, it's like compound interest. You're talking about how you went last year because it got rained out originally. I went there when it got rained out. They got the Thursday night show in. We didn't leave the racetrack. The final race finished at four o'clock in the morning on Thursday. <laughs> Or on Friday morning. Yeah, Friday morning. Sure. <laughs> that would so. have been my cup of tea. But I, yeah. I mean, that, that's when I'm like the most awake is at yeah. that time of night. Yeah, that's just when I'm starting to get up. So I would have I I I caught the feature. I wouldn't have seen any of the heats, but I would have caught the feature. Because <laughs> so. there, there are several rain delays. So that's why it, it took so long. Hey, Bert, was that the same one where Bloomquist got caught in the rainstorm, drove into the wall, and then was light at the scale? No. That, that's. No, that what that was, what, that was uh, the dream this year. I oh believe. yeah, yeah, yep, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah that was a free. Yeah, from <laughs> I wasn't at the dream, but from what I heard, it only rained in turn one. No other place yeah. on the track, just turn one. Absolutely, it was just crazy. <laughs> everybody come down. It was everything was good. Green flag. Everybody piled up. He went in. He got his car fixed. Come out, made the show. Boom light at the scales it's like oh my goodness <laughs> yeah I, I remember seeing some video not only of him kissing the wall but there was a video um that i actually i think it was someone at ricky weiss's crew had put on twitter and uh weiss's crew and mcdowell's crew and bloomquist crew just thrashing on that car because they didn't know if they had a five minute rain delay or a 10 minute rain delay or a 15 minute rain delay mm-hmm. and i don't know how long it ended up being but those guys were under that car there were there were you know it seemed like 50 sets of hands you know just just pulling and pushing and crawling under there and and they had you know tools and just you know they wanted to make sure he got back altar which obviously he did and then uh all that effort to no avail <laughs> well and i i just thought of something you know we were talking about multi teams before i mean a lot of like the bloomquist chassis guys they all park in one area so you know yep. and and the other chassis guys do the same thing so in a way they're not teammates, but they are teammates, like Ryan was saying earlier. Yep, I totally agree. And, you know, the MB Custom guys are all together, you know, so it's such a tight-knit deal that they're already kind of working together, and especially in the late models and maybe the modifieds, the top guys that are winning races are always in constant communication with the chassis builder, their shock guys, and a lot of them have the, sa- the same shock guys. And and what's what's different, too, is, you know, you take a guy like Scott Bloomquist and a guy like Billy Moyer, two of the best ever, two completely different driving styles. So all that shared information sometimes doesn't do any good whatsoever because somebody that gets up on the wheel and pounds a cushion and, you know, like a B-Shep, and then you take a, good, a look at somebody like, uh, you know, Scott Bloomquist or Chris Madden, who's perfectly smooth through the middle, you can't set their cars up anything alike. So as far as the setup side and that side, 
none of that even matters. But uh, I think Roger kind of had a good point there on the marketing aspect. Although, if you look at the NASCAR teams, right, that maybe have multi-car teams, they don't have one main sponsor for their whole team. They have an individual sponsor still for each car. So I'm not sure how that would how that would work with late model racing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. Yeah. And I was just thinking of it. Like I said, I was just trying to take an angle where maybe this would, you know, it'd be great for late model racing. Like I said, to attract some of that, you know, instead of just, Mm -hmm. you know, Bill's gas station all the time, it'd be nice. Like I said, a Pepsi or a Coke or a Budweiser or something. And I just thought, well, geez, maybe, like I said, if you get the haulers all wrapped, they're pounding down the road. You got X number of fans. You can say, we're going to expose, you know, uh, you're going to have, you know, exposure to, through the year you got the car you got all the pictures you got your logo on t-shirts you know window stickers everything down the line and and like i said who knows maybe maybe that's the one thing it'll turn things around so um with that uh, i think we are on the final lap so uh by the time uh, we join each other again for our next podcast veterans day will have come and gone and uh, i know there's a lot of veterans um, involved in uh, in the racing community so i just want to take some time to acknowledge and thank all you veterans. Wish you all a happy uh, Veterans Day uh, coming up here next week. I especially like to point out to my dad. You know, he was in the Air Force. He was in Vietnam. So I wanted to wish him a happy Veterans Day. So, Bert, is there anyone you wanted to uh, give a shout out to? I just want to thank all the veterans out there. Uh, without them, we wouldn't have the freedom that we have and the racing to enjoy. Yes. Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes racing great. Right. One of the many things that makes racing great is is they start out with the national anthem and you see everybody standing. Right. There ain't no people <laughs> kneeling down, sitting down. Everybody's standing. And, and that's because we're proud of this country. We're proud of of where we live. And exactly like Bert said, we we're we're pretty darn blessed here to be able to do the things that we love to do. And there's people that have sacrificed a lot to give us them freedom. So happy, happy Veterans Day to all. Um, and there, there's so many, and I have a lot of friends and family, you know, but there's so many to list and a lot of people in the racing community, um, that are, that have served this country. So thank you to all. All right. Great point, Ryan. I love it. So, all right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Anything else, uh, fellas? No, I'm just, I'm just excited to talk about a little bit of modified racing coming up here soon. I know we got a couple <laughs> big shows, but we're going to talk about that on, on the next one here. Absolutely. Yeah, for certain. So uh, anything else, Bert? We good to go? Yeah, we're, no, we're good to go. All right. Awesome. So uh, we, like I said, we'll, uh, you know, we'll continue our conversation in the future here as John Garabedian always taught us. Um, and I'll tell you little kids out there, be your dream. There's nothing better. And uh, you are tuned into the one to go show. Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is Puka, and I am once again joined by my all-star cast, uh, Ryan Aho. Ryan, how you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, man. How you doing? Oh, boy, I'll tell you, fellas, I'm coming off. Uh, uh, I, I feel a little bit naked because I'm, you know, opening deer hunting this weekend here in, in Minnesota, and I, uh, my wife had a doctor's appointment down in the Twin Cities, so we, we drove. We were down there Friday, stayed overnight Saturday, so I have you know, it's Monday of opening week, and I've not seen or smelt or uh, occupied a deer hunting shack yet. So, I'm, like I said, I'm feeling half naked. I'm really excited for this weekend as I'll be doing my annual tour with a couple of buddies, and we, we do some shack hopping. But uh, um, I had a pretty good weekend, but I'm not doing real well. I need 
I need to see the bros. I need to see the brothers. I need to get to the shack. So, um, and also joining us is uh, Bert Lehman. Doing? I'm doing good. Uh, trying to stay warm. It's like 12 degrees here. Um, and uh, tomorrow's a big day because tomorrow's my wedding anniversary. Well, <laughs> congratulations. You. Good for you. And I've met the missus. Yes, I've you met have. The missus. As a matter of fact, I think I accidentally, I, I think I, in one of my more proud moments, I think I accidentally spilled <laughs> beer on the missus once. So <laughs> send her my okay, regards, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, we will start tonight with the uh, 13th annual Can-Am World Finals. Of course, took place over the weekend. My official numbers are telling me that uh, 69 late models checked in, 53 World of Outlaw sprint cars checked in. You know, of course, uh, the program was washed out on Thursday. Uh, what say you? about the world finals um well i was surprised by the winner of saturday night show in the late models uh none of us picked jimmy owens but uh he was right there in one and i on the sprint car side of it that must have been a hell of a feature to watch in the for the sprint cars to see who would win the championship that final night with uh only two points separating the top two drivers yeah, that was pretty incredible, right? Yeah, you know, I, I got to reiterate what he's saying there on the sprint car deal. I mean, when you come down to the final night, separated by just a couple points, there is a lot of drama at stake. And, you know, that just, that just makes the whole storyline that much better and gets the fans that more intense about that race. And, you know, it sounded like it, it was quite an interesting one. It sounds like uh, some spots were swapped during that race and nobody knew how it was going to really pan out till the end so super uh super interesting and it doesn't really matter for me what sport it is i mean when it comes down to the championship i can become a fan of like almost anything but when it comes to sprint car racing late model racing when it comes down to the finals like that man i'm all in and then uh the late models you know i i gotta be honest i'm not surprised you know with jimmy owens winning what makes the late models to me a little bit different is Four of the guys in the sprint cars, they happened to finish in the top five both nights. And there was only one guy in the late models that finished in the late in the top five both nights. And I found that to be quite interesting, and, and uh, that just shows you how much that late model competition is just intense. There's a lot of really good race car drivers out there. Well, let me ask you, was that person Chris Madden? Yep, it was Chris Madden, absolutely. You know, after winning the first night, and then he finished, uh, what did he end up the second night fifth. there? I think he got fifth. Of, yeah, he was fifth in fifth place. Night. Yep, so, yeah, he was the only guy to finish in the top five in both, and, you know, a lot of really, really good race cars. Well, you know, and, and that is interesting on the sprint cars, and I think that has a lot to do with the way the sprint cars qualify, and of course, I'm sure you two have been to World of Outlaws sprint car events, and and sometimes when they're coming out for the dash, and they're you know after they time, and you know I, I guess I haven't been to a World of Outlaws sprint car event in whew, I guess maybe it's close to ten years, but you know I I could never keep track of why they were coming out and who was going to come out, you know, and I I think that might have a lot to do with it as far as I you know the the tour guys or maybe it's the timed guy, faster timing guys maybe they have a bigger advantage in the sprint car series versus the late model series. Like I said, I don't know for sure, but I just know that it, it seemed like a, just a crapshoot as far as who was coming on the track at any time. Have you, any of you paid attention to any of that? 
I'm not real familiar with how they qualify for, you know, for their position. So I, I really can't speak to that. I don't, I don't think it has much to do with qualifying. I think there's always been a big gap in the sprint cars, right? I think, you know, you look back and, and look at, you know, you just take Steve Kinzer. The guy's got like 690 feature wins or something. It's like some crazy number like that. And there's always been like that, the couple three that are like really, really dominant and then everybody else. Right. And there was a couple years there where it seemed like there was a lot more competition in the sprint cars, but, but it's a big gap in my opinion, between the, the haves and the have not, so to speak. And in late model racing, I just think that there's a whole lot more people with, with the best equipment and, you know, a lot more, a lot more of them in the late models, which makes it so much more even. Sure. Well, yeah. Well, let's 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 uh, swing back to the Can Am here. So, yeah, we uh, Friday night. You know, some of my observations. Obviously, they said it was cold. Uh, Madden took that that win on Friday night with a, a pretty aggressive move. I don't know if you two saw it uh, uh, on Davenport on a restart. Uh, shots. He kind of liked it upstairs. You know, when he was up there, but you know, gravel was just a little too much, and uh, you know, obviously held on for that win. Um, and then Saturday. You know, setting up that dramatic, like you said, two-point spread. Um, and, of course, the the, the winning, uh, the title was won by four mm-hmm. points, you know, by Brad Sweet. But, you know, Sweet and Shot both won the heats, um, you know, which which made it just, uh, you know, set up, the, like you said, Ryan, the, like the ultimate drama. You know, it's like, what more could you ask for, you know? Um, and then Donnie actually did pass Sweet at one point in the feature, but then Sweet got him back. So, um, you know, as, as the, you know, world of outlaws of promoting an event, I, you know, they really couldn't have asked for anything better, uh, you know, as far as that, that title coming down. I, you know, I don't think it ever has, you know, I, I think we would have heard, you know, through all the media coverage that, you know, this is like 1999 or this was like 2009 when we had a similar battle. I didn't hear any references. I think this was probably the best battle that they've ever seen. So, um, and then of course, Bishop, you know, with that DNF, on Saturday night, you know, I can't believe, you know, we'll, we'll talk about our picks in just a second here, but you know, none of us picked the DNF, you know, after all that consistency that he put in all year, you know, it's, it's kind of surprising that one of us just didn't say, Hey, you know, he's got 39 top tens out of 41 races. It's time for him to have a DNF. But um, I think I was surprised, but at the same time, I wasn't shocked that finally the guy kind of showed that he was human. I remember you kind of picked uh, Brad Sweet to have that DNF, actually. And, uh, you know, I, I saw, so you kind of called out the DNF, but it was in the wrong class, the wrong driver. It was the right color, though. I mean, there's some blue in both cars. So so uh, you, you must have been on to something there. But, yeah, you, you're exactly right. And that's what, that was, that's what makes racing interesting is anything can happen. And, you know, fortunately for him, the championship was decided already, you know, and, and uh, he was just out there. It was another race. It wasn't a big, you know. Nobody likes to DNF, but it really wasn't a big deal in the grand scheme of things for him. Anything to add there? Well, I just wanted to add, you know, from a fan's perspective, uh, there's nothing better than watching uh, the championship go to the final race of the season, you know, and to the final laps. Uh, It seems like this day and age, especially in a local racing scene, uh, you know, track championships, don't seem to be as important as they used to be so it was refreshing to see a championship go down to the final checkered flag yeah 72 events and of course ryan you've you've raced for 
for for local point point titles, national point titles. You've been in this situation, but you know, and it's and maybe I just haven't paid enough attention to it. But you know, after seventy two events that that Sweeten shots both, of course, entered. You know, it comes down to a four point margin. You know, it's just incredible if you look at because then you go all the way to fourth, and it's a three hundred and forty six point margin. You know, so you know, but but Donnie and 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 Brad four points after 72 races. I mean, is that one of those ones, Ryan, where you think shots might've laid down for bed that night and kind of looked back and thought, well, there was a one night if I would have done this and one night, if I would have just got that one more spot. Absolutely. You know, and and you look back at shots this season, it's quite interesting, really. You know, he had some big slumps. I mean, he, he barely got into the double digits on the wins this year. And I mean, for several years in a row, he had the most wins and, and then he had like a two month stretch where he didn't even win a feature then he won one. Then he had like another month again where he didn't win. So it was just very uncharacteristic for him. And he got hot at the end of the year. He started coming on towards the end of the year. And and when when a person looks back, you know, I, I remember losing a national championship myself by just a couple points. He'll remember this more than he remembers the wins, right? He'll be he'll it'll just it'll haunt him. He'll be like, oh man, you know one extra night, just one extra win, or maybe he tried something one night, or maybe just, we're talking literally one or two positions would have just determined uh, the championship for him. I promise, I promise you, this will not be out of his mind, probably ever, right? It just never (laughs) goes away, because in his mind, he's thinking, you know, he, he had a legitimate shot to go down there and win, and what's interesting, too, is I think this was the first year, you know, in a long time that he got off to such a slow start. I think 2013, you know, was the um, I think it was the last time that he didn't win down in Florida at the beginning of the year, and he didn't. He started out the season just uncharacteristically off off his pace of what you you know. He's on a great pace for everybody else's you know terms, but just for his own, he was just off at the beginning. And I don't know what that attributed to. I really don't. Um, but at the end of the year, he sure came on, and I. He'll make his presence known again next year. I can promise you that. Bert? Well, I just wanted to add, uh, I mean, you mentioned, you know, 72 events, and it, it's separated by four points. I mean, you look at the stats for both Sweet and Shots. Um, both of them finished in the top 10, 65 out of 72 races. Um, Sweet had incredible 47 top fives, where Shots had 48 top fives, so... They were right there. The big difference was, as Ryan said, is the wins. Sweet had 16, and Shots only had 11. Yeah, an incredible season. And, and uh, you know, I know that Tony Stewart came out with that Ford racing engine. I think that was in August-ish, Ryan, and that may have coincided with some of those wins. But they had some sort of a new engine package that, that came out. I think it was right after the Knoxville Nationals, which is like the weekend after the USA Nationals. So you had Knoxville Nationals on August 10th-ish, and I believe there was a new engine. It was around that time. It wasn't in May. It wasn't in June. So it wasn't early in the year. It was later in the year, and maybe that's what, what contributed to some of, of Shots's, Shots's wins. Yeah, he's – And, you know, let's – let's go ahead. Yeah, I was say, yeah, he sure got fast when he got that Ford in there. And, you know, I believe he, he won the Knoxville Nationals. You mentioned that 10 times. And just to show how his season went, he got ninth at that this year, you know, which is, I mean, just uncharacteristic of, of Donnie's shots to kind of just miss the mark on a few of them shows and 
we're talking just the difference of one night over 72 could have been could have been it. Now, with that said, you know, Sweet obviously probably had some nights in there that he wants back as well, so it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, like I said, you know, hats off to both of them, to Brad Sweet on the championship, Donnie, for making it a great fight, uh, you know, going after the 11th title, but obviously that's going to have to wait for 2024 him. Um, and let's move on to our other champion, which was B-Shep. Uh, like I said, uh, I DNF on Saturday night, but he already had the points locked up. I was kind of looking, doing some research. So his total earnings, just on the Wu circuit, $316,625. So he was he had more than double for the second place uh, money guy, which was um, Shane Clanton at 143. And the other interesting fact I found out was that Bishop was also the number one Lucas money earner for the year. And, of course, I think that attributed a lot to the Dirt Million. Bert, do you recall what that Dirt Million paid this year? I do not recall. Okay. So, but he was the number one earner on both circuits. So, um, definitely a dream year for Bishop. You know, obviously he couldn't get that 19th win, which would have put him in the record books. You know, he's tied now with Josh Richards at 18 uh, for a season, you know, or season high wins on the, on the uh, Wu Tour. But, um, again, I'll have to wait for 2020. But um, congrats to, like I said, to both Brad Sweet and Bishop. And so, we, you know, we'll kind of move on to some of our picks and it's a good thing that we don't, you know, the three of us don't live in Vegas uh, making uh, <laughs> a living gambling because uh, you know, on Friday night, it looks, you know, really Ryan, you were, you were kind of the closest uh, because you did, you know, pick Madden on a different night. And of course he won on, on Saturday night, but he won on Friday night and you were saying, you know, watch that dark David gravel uh, for a dark horse. And of course he, you know, he swept the weekend and, you know, Saturday night, it didn't look like really any of us were close. Like I said, Owens um, was there. You know, I had B-Shep. Uh, Bert had B-Shep. You know, he was, you know, obviously a DNF. I mean, Madden did place in the top five, though, so so kudos to you again, Ryan. Um, I got, and then I got to be point, honest, I, I was a little closer than I thought, too, because I also picked Ricky Weiss as the dark horse, and uh, he come home with a very solid second on that on, on night number two there, so I picked him. And uh, I tell you what, that that forty one car, David Gravel. I just out of curiosity, I don't have it in front of me. How many points did he finish out of the championship hunt? Because he was a, he actually incidentally finished third in the World of Outlaw Sprint Car Series. And uh, I tell you what, look for him to also be really strong next year in that forty one car. He actually finished eighty two points out. He actually had one more win than Shots did. Yeah, he had a wow. very, very strong season. In fact, I think he won a bunch of them right at the end of the year. So he he ended the season very, very strong. And uh, you know that I believe that was his first year in that forty-one, wasn't it? Because wasn't it Jason Johnson passed away? Was it two years ago? No, I think it was just last year, right? Was it that was last, right, that was last year? Yeah, that was last year. Yeah. So, yeah. That was last that was last so year. this was his first year in that in that ride. So. You know, getting familiar with that with that whole new program, that's going to be an interesting three-way battle there next year, I believe. And then that fifth-place driver um, in the sprint cars also ran well. So, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. We had some fun picks there, and it doesn't seem like we can pick them really well. I'm, I'm glad we're not in Vegas. You're right on there. <laughs> well, and, you know, I mean, we did do a little jockeying with the points, too, and, and you know, that did change a lot. You know, going into the uh, the weekend – you know, we knew Bishop had the title as far as the late models, 
Uh, Chase Youngins was in second, and I was saying, ah, man, you know, I I hope for the guy because I know he's been loyal to the tour. He's been around. Uh, you know, he was in the runner-up spot. He ended up finishing fourth. Uh, Shane Clanton vault. Shane Clanton, excuse me, vaulted from fourth to second. You know, which is a sixty thousand dollar payday for that second place uh, finish. And then Ricky moved from fifth to third, which I was I, I had called him moving from fifth to second. But um, so Ricky had you know moved up, and then Lanigan was the big loser, where you know he was uh, third and dropped all the way back to fifth. So the the, the points ended up Shepard, Clanton. Weiss, Young Ends, and Lanigan. And like I said, they're the uh, was kind of substantial with, with 100,000, 60,000, 30,000 for third. So, uh, or 40,000 for third, excuse me. So, um, you know, that, like I said, this was a big weekend uh, to pad the pocketbook. And, um, you know, unfortunately for Young Ends and, and Lanigan, it didn't work out. But for Clanton and, uh, and Weiss, they were, they left smiling. So, speaking of Weiss, we can kind of transition into our buddy Ricky. You know, obviously, he's got somewhat local roots. Uh, he's been a, a national, many, many time national champion. Last year's uh, 2018 was Oda national champion. I think he's got five or so national titles uh, under his belt. And so we just kind of wanted to hone in on Ricky and 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 just all of his success. Success and and uh, Bert. You know, what what can you tell us about Ricky White? Well, you you said that you thought he had five national champions, and he does. He's won the Minnesota National Championship five times. Uh, first time was in 2010, then 2011, then 2014, 2015, and 2018. So it's nice to see a driver with somewhat local roots having this type of success uh, on the national scene. And, I mean, he's so young yet that I can see continued success for him in the future. And here's a little known tid- tidbit that I don't know if you know, but he has a feature win at Shano Speedway during a weekly show. <laughs> oh, really? No, I would not have known that. When was uh, that? Three or four years ago. He was, tra- I do he was traveling around a little Go bit ahead. racing. and it, it was shortly after Shano Speedway uh, dropped the Wasota sanction and they, they went with their own rules. So, um, late models with aluminum motors can can race if they put a restrictor plate on. Uh, so he showed up a few times at Shano Speedway to race. And I remember a night in Hibbing where I remember when Jeff Provenzino was, was running for the national points and boy, this must've been 12 ish, 2012 ish. And he did show up in Hibbing one night. I don't think he had ever seen the track and he, you know, he came out and he started towards the front in the feature. And he was one of those guys where he went hibbing. Everyone was kind of on the bottom that night. He went one car length up to the north and then he just walked around everyone and spanked everyone. And um, yeah, so that was the same thing uh, w- with hibbing. He's got, I think, one win, one and only win. And I, I don't think I've seen him back since that time. So, uh, Ryan, what uh, what can you tell us about Ricky? I tell you what, I, I Bert's right on the money. Ricky Weiss is absolutely going to make his presence known in 2020. Um, he, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe he won a feature on this no, year. He, but he, had he did six not. Seconds, 
and boy, he ran extremely well. And he there, I know there was a few races during the year where him and Bishop were just battling for the win. And uh, I tell you that that gentleman, he actually as a rookie had the highest finishing position in the points out of any rookie in the history of the world of all our late models with that third place finish. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But you know, like they say, you know, most guys when they're going for rookie of the year. Man, they're just hoping to get a top five or two, sneak into the top ten. He was a contender all the time. I mean, he ran extremely well, and I'm I'm gonna put him. He's my dark horse prediction to win it all in 2020. You can put that down, Ricky Weiss, 2020 World of Outlaw Late Model Champ. Oh, that would be something. However, I've got some news. So I was digging through some interviews from this weekend. And they asked him, it must have been a Dirt on Dirt interview, because I don't know if he would have said this to the Wu guy, but he said he was unsure at this point of his plans for next year. So um, he said, of course, they're looking for support. They're trying to chase down a sponsor. So that left me to thinking, well, is he just going to pick and choose and maybe do some of the big shows? You know, is he going to stay a little closer to home and just dominate? I don't think that's very likely at his age. I think he's really trying to step up his program. Um, or, of course, there's always that thought, is he going to try and flip-flop to the Lucas? It seems like this time of year, them late model guys kind of like to play that politics deal a little bit, right? You know, like you just never know which direction they're going to go. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think it'd be quite interesting to see him go to the Lucas. I, I think the Lucas series got maybe just a little tougher competition sometimes. But uh, with that said, you know, both of them are quality. And, you know, Ricky Weiss, if he runs that World of Outlaws, I, I guess I hadn't heard that interview. But if he runs that World of Outlaws, he's going to be a force. But I think he's going to be a force not only on the points deal, but look at some of these crown jewel races for 2020. I tell you, Ricky, Ricky's really got her going on. 31 years old, and he's, he's just getting into his prime. Bert, uh, anything to add? I just wanted to add that unless it's a funding issue, I would have a hard time believing that um, he would, you know, just race local races. I think he's shown his talent this year, and as long as he has the funding, he has to race one of the the two series, or or at least at the very least, hit all the crown jewels. Um, right. So, yeah, and that's you know you had brought up you know, on the last episode, Bert, about Daryl Lanigan, you know, moving over. You know, he ended up with $125,000 in earnings, you know, for a fifth-place finish. And I think that probably padded the checkbook a lot more than it did on the on the uh, Lucas series. And the other couple uh, interesting tidbits is, you know, uh, Madden ended up 11th in points. But, of course, with that USA Nationals victory, he ended up with 112000 So he ended up in, like, you know, the, the top seven in pay, but he was 11th overall. And then there was someone else. I was looking through this. I kind of stuck out. I think it was T-Mac. Kind of stuck out. Where is T-Mac? Well, I can't find it on the chart. No, but as far as his earnings, T-Mac, you know, he was way down. Oh, yeah. 60,000. So, yeah, 60,000. He finished 28th, but you can see that, you know, 60,000 money-wise, he's a top 10 guy. But um, so I guess that's one thing that, you know, we – Ricky's going to have to kind of weigh is, is looking at uh, competition and, and strength of schedule versus, you know, how much money he can make. So, and another guy with, with, you know, of course, ties to the area, you know, Donnie shots. I remember seeing Donnie shots come to Hibbing back in 1996, rolled in the heat race, uh, you know, started in, started in the back. He said, I think he still ended up in the top five. And every time I see him, I, I 
you know, he remembers it because I bring it up, say, I'm from him. I remember the time he came there and rolled over. And again, I think just like Ricky, they may have been the only time. Oh, no, he did race at the sprint special they had back in what, 2013 or 14 there, Ryan. But um, so what uh, and of course, the coolest thing about Donnie Schatz is, you know, he jumps in a late model once in a while. And, you know, that's the coolest thing, in my opinion. But Ryan, uh, Donnie Schatz, you know, what say you? You know, Donnie Schatz, you know, the Minot Missile, you know, that that gentleman, like you said, he's so versatile. You know, not many of the sprint car guys ever jump into anything else. You know, primarily they, they stick to the open wheels. And what's interesting about him, I went to Cedar Lake a couple of years ago for the World of Outlaw show. And, you know, the sprint car guys typically backing in, they're driving off the right rear. And I watch shots. He's driving shots, driving around the track like a late model driver, just straight and smooth. And I'm like, man, he'd be good if he was in a late model or a mod. And whatever he's in, that guy is extremely talented. And uh, he won the 1996 with Soda uh, Championship before he made the switch and started running with the World of Outlaws. I believe he's won that 10 times. And just, uh, you know, just a great pedigree. You know, he's been around racing forever. I know his dad took a, took a stint at running the track up in Fargo. Um, very involved. And he actually runs, he really supports the NLRA Late Model Series out of Grand Forks. I believe uh, Tom Corcoran and Brad Sang are heavily involved. Brad might be the president. I can't remember. But uh, Donnie, every chance he gets, when he comes up that direction, it's fun because whatever Thursday show's going on before the World of Outlaws up in Grand Forks, he's like, hey, where can I jump in a late model? So it's it's really cool. Obviously, he's phenomenal in a sprint car, but uh, you know it's really cool getting to see him in a late model because he runs extremely well on that, too. He doesn't just go out and be a field filler he runs very well and he's a contender in anything he gets in so um hats off to a great season come up just a little bit short this year but uh he'll be right back in the swing of things for next year bert you had a chance to talk to donnie yeah i had a chance to interview him uh this past summer uh he was racing his late model at 141 speedway uh at a dirt king show and uh I it was funny because I asked him if he if he had talked to any of the local drivers to you know pick their brains about setup and that sort of thing and he said no he said I, I'm doing it the same way as when I race a sprint car when I go to a track I try to figure it out myself and then when I go out on a track I'll see if it works or not so I, I thought I thought that was interesting uh, especially since like the year before the Lucas Oil Late Model Series raced at 141 Speedway. And I was hanging around uh, T-Max trailer, and he was talking to some other drivers. And then they were saying, well, who's the local driver we can talk to here? And they're trying to say a name. They go, I think it starts with A. And I said, you mean Anvilink? Yeah, that's it. So then they (laughs) they went by Avalink's trailer. So I thought that was cool. You know, Shot just tried, you know, he tries to do it on his own. And I asked him why he was racing at 141 with the Dirt Kings. And somebody who helps prepare his equipment is actually from Sheboygan, Wisconsin, which is only which is less than an hour away from 141 Speedway. So that was why he was there. Ah, oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, that, I mean, like I said, it's it's cool to see him jump in there. I've seen some interviews with him myself, and I know the one thing that he consistently says, and I don't know if he said this to you, Bert, but he talks a lot about the braking and and how it's so different than you know, a sprint car. And I, I don't know how or why that would be Ryan. You're the race car driver, but you know, he, 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 I've heard three or four interviews and that's what he said is while these things are different, they're heavier. You know, we can't cheat as much. He says, because there's no wing and he's, 
He talks about the breaking. Would you have any insight into what he might be touching on there? Well, I've never driven a sprint car, but I've driven a late model, and, and you're on the brakes all the way around the racetrack, which is which is interesting, right? Because you'd think you'd be not on the brakes at all. But they're, you the late model guys, they trail brake a lot. So they're on the gas with the right foot, brake with the left front. That keeps that car linked up, and it holds the traction in the car. So the people that are really good at doing that, even in the modifieds, you know, that's a big advantage. Now, I don't believe that's how it works in a sprint car because they don't get up on the left rear. Those things are pretty flat. They're driving off the right rear. So my assumption would be, you know, totally different theory getting into the corner on on, on the brakes or off the brakes. And I know in a sprint car, it's as simple as just dumping the throttle and the cars rotate. They got so much stagger in them. It's, it's two completely different animals. But what's interesting is the way that Shots drives, he keeps that car very straight and underneath them in both of them. So, again, that's just, that's just a testament to his ability in a race car. All right, Ryan Aho, we're going to stick with you. It wasn't just a big weekend in North Carolina. It was also a big weekend in St. Cloud, Minnesota, where Wazota celebrated its champions, had the banquet. But more importantly for tonight's conversation, it was the 2019 Wazota Rules Meeting. So, Ryan Aho, what did we learn for 2020 that did or did not happen at the 2019 rules meeting. Man, I tell you what, I'm I'm going to take one quick thing I want to add on, on North Carolina before I jump onto the Wasota deal. <laughs> um, incidentally, Bishop did get his 19th win. It may have not have been in the race car, but at the banquet, I believe last night, he proposed to his girlfriend and got engaged. So that's a big, big win for Bishop right there. So I just want to give a shout out to him on the recent engagement. Wow. So, so that might have been maybe playing on his mind over the weekend, too. I'm sure he had kind of had that plan. He was probably thinking about that just a little bit. And uh, I guess I'm lying. He's a race car driver. You know, put the helmet on, you forget about everything. So, But, yeah, to get into, to get into um, St. Cloud, they have the national, the national banquet there. They recognize all the championships. And they also had the rules meetings there. And, you know, I actually had the – I was invited by a, a multiple different tracks. Hey, why don't you come down with us and represent us? And, and I've been to those meetings and I'm like, there is no way on God's green earth that I want to go like beat my head against the wall for that long. And, you know, the, not a lot of changes. See, Wasota has a rules freeze in right now. Um, and it's a multi-year rules freeze where they're not allowed to make any changes. And something really, really interesting happened. There was one rule change that I think is phenomenal, a safety rule. Um, they got rid of wheel covers on the left side of race cars. And that's a really good deal because a lot of times them things fly off like a Frisbee. I've seen them go up into the stands. People get hurt. They're not real safe. And if nobody has them, then it's not an advantage to anybody. So I'm really glad to see with Soda stepping up on the side of safety, getting rid of the wheel covers on the left side of the cars. I think that's a, a great decision that they made. Now we're going to get to a poor decision, uh, perhaps, that this may be an ugly deal moving forward. Um, there was some drama, you know, in the street stock class towards the end of the year with Soda actually, you know, looking out for the drivers. In, in all honesty, you know, everything they do, they, they really do want to make racing better. They decided to go ahead and create a spec shock rule for the Wasota street stocks. And, you know, how they did it, you know, that that can be debated. I, I don't feel like they did it right. See, they had a they went out right away. 
They signed a deal with AFCO, and they said, hey, this is the shock we're going to use. They did a little bit of testing. They had some drivers on it. But, man, a lot of drivers said, hey, this shock is not good. It's, it's overpriced. It's not as good a quality. There's a smaller shaft, so on and so forth. And there was a lot, a lot of drama. I mean, a lot of street stock guys, uh, they spoke up. They called their promoters. The promoters got heavily involved. And, and the Wasota board, honestly, wouldn't listen, right? So they get to the – now, keep in mind that they signed a contract, a multi-year contract for AFCO to actually go ahead and start producing these shocks, and that was going to be the rule moving forward. They get to the meeting, and it was like World War Three between the promoters and, and the Wasota board. And at one point, the promoters actually kicked the board right out of the meeting and said, we need to talk amongst ourselves. Like, there was a lot of tension. And they come back in, and they made them get out the bylaws, and they look back at the bylaws, and they realize that, uh-oh, they didn't go through the right procedure to put this rule into effect. So they had a re-vote where the promoters got to vote. Now, only the tracks that have street stocks get to vote on street stock rules, but this is a big deal. And they voted to not um, have that spec shock, right? Now, the problem lies in it would have been super easy if they wouldn't have signed a contract, but now they got a contract with AFCO that hopefully they can do some really smooth talking to get themselves out of the contract. See, AFCO and Speedway Motors are both big sponsors of Wasota, and, you know, it's just a bad deal. So hopefully they can work this deal out, but if that's gotten into the production phase, there might be some compensation um, going towards AFCO from Wasota because of this mistake. And, you know, i got to be honest, you know, that, that leads me to thinking about just sanctioning bodies in general. Now, obviously, I've raced with Wasota, the, I guess, my whole adult life. I, ever since I got into racing, I've been in Wasota. And, you know, sanctioning bodies when Wasota first came aboard, you know, way back in the 80s, it was amazing. I mean, it was great because all the tracks had different rules everywhere up here. You'd go to a different track, you'd have different rules everywhere. Wasota came on board. Next thing you know, we got 50-some tracks in Wasota. You can race multiple places, don't have to change your car. It was great. But then the way that things got ran, it's like, are they doing things, are they are they making racing better or worse, right? I, that's, that's a question i got to ask because they're making decisions that doesn't really, you know, it's not benefiting the sport. And I asked a lot of promoters, I'm like, it doesn't matter what sanctioning body, what benefit is that sanctioning body to you? See, back in the day when there was 50 tracks, they said car count, uniform rules, so on and so forth. But now, in 2019, in our part of the country, it has gotten back to what it was when, before Wasota came. Now we have Wasota, we have UMP, we have USRA, we have IMCA, we have NASCAR, we have non-sanctioned tracks. We have, now we're, we're, we have a big mess all over again, all over the place with, it's just a complete divide and that's not good for racing. See, and I, I saw something earlier in the year that Kenny Wallace, he did a Facebook Live, and he says, these these sanctioning bodies just need to wake up, right? And they need to make it so the rules are the same. If you take a late model, let's just make it so the late models are the same all around the country. We don't need seven sets of rules. If it's a modified, we don't need seven, eight, nine sets of rules for a modified. Let's make one rule. And I think sometimes the board, the promoters, people, we all got pride, we all got ego, we all want to be right. But at the end of the day, 
people got to put that to the side and have some vision as to how can we make the sport better? Because let's be honest, it's not the rules they need to be worrying about. They need to be worrying about putting butts in seats, and that's not happening all the way from NASCAR down to grass foot, grassroots racing. That is simply not happening. So they need to quit nitpicking on all this nonsense and work on making the sport better, growing the sport, getting more people involved, and making it fun. And that's, that's what sanctioning bodies should be focusing on right now, and I don't think they are. Bert, anything to add on track promotion? Uh, well, I mean, I agree with Ryan about uh, uniform rules. Um, I mean, in the eastern part of the state, uh, other than late models, it's all IMCA here. And, I mean, all the tracks are pretty much IMCA. So, you know, a modified driver has a has a wide variety of tracks to choose from. And in honesty, I think that's a, an issue for the late models on the eastern part of Wisconsin is none of the top modified drivers want to jump up to a late model because you can only race at two tracks in Eastern Wisconsin. And then you can follow the dirt King series. But if you're race, if you stay with the IMCA modified, you can race all over the place, all over the country. So, yeah, I mean, rules are, are a big, are a big issue that uh, sanctioning bodies and promoters need to sit down and figure out. Ryan, what was the status of the, uh, you know, B late model or crate late model? Did, did no progress there? And the reason I'm asking yeah, here, that is, oh, go ahead. Let, let you go ahead first. Yeah, here, here's question. what happened there. Yeah, here's what happened there. So there's, there's several tracks that have, have brought that class on board, right? Um, Fergus Falls, um, I believe Montevideo has them, Cedar Lake has them. You know, they're not with soda, of course, but there's, there's some tracks starting to get that class involved. Now, Again, I'm, I'm going to start by saying this. Man, I just, there's too many classes already. We, the, the, all around the country that when they have crate late models, they don't have a class called Super Stocks, which Wissota has. But I'm here to tell you that as soon as they bring in the crate late models, the Super Stocks are going to die, right? The pie is only so big, okay? But here's what happened. Wissota actually took some time. They drew up a set of what they would consider rules with soda rules for the crate late model class and they brought it up and, and there's a handful of tracks there that already have this class and they asked them straight out you know we're considering sanctioning this class and those tracks immediately i mean they shot it down they said take it off the table we don't want to sanction the crate late models we want to keep it simple we want to keep it non-sanctioned which i found very interesting so it never even went to a vote um for for the tracks to vote it in or out the tracks that already had them said, hey, we don't even want to go down that road. Let's, let's just keep it non-sanctioned. Okay, because the reason I ask about that is because I did see a headline breaking just a couple of hours ago that a, a track in Wisconsin that was um, – we can talk about uh, off-air on this because I don't know <laughs> if it's official, but they were they kind of came up with, hey, we're going to do this like B late model and you can use this crate engine or you can use a B mod engine, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, there's USRA – B mods. There's, I think, out in your area, you know. Well, or, go ahead and bring it up. Where, you know, yeah. Well, are you, talking, up, where, are, you, where, are you talking? Where, are you talking about Eagle River? Eagle River, exactly. Yeah. Did yeah. you see that, Bert? Yeah, okay. I got the. Yeah, I got so, the press release. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you know, the, so they're not going to be USA, USRA, and they're not going to be Wazoda if Wazoda had already implemented. Obviously, they haven't. But you know, right. and and I know you you have some set of rules out there, Bert, where. 
you know, you can run a Wazota type car. You can run a, uh, uh, you know, an aluminum motor car. You can run a crate type car, and they're all competitive. So you've got your set of rules. Now Eagles going to have their set of rules. USARA is their set of rules. So just getting back to what you said, Ryan, you know, this pie is just being, you know, I mean, the, the slice that we're going to get on on Thanksgiving of that pumpkin pie is going to be one bite. <laughs> I, wow. I got to be honest with you. I got myself in a little bit of trouble, guys, um, because right before I jumped onto this onto the podcast here with you guys, um, I noticed that the Superior Speedway Troy Powers puts together a great show. The Twin Twenty Fives up there, um, Superior, Wisconsin. I believe this year is July thirty first, and it's a great event uh, for Wasota late models. But I saw a short little video. They're actually going to have crate late models at that as well, kind of as a support class. So I put a little gif on there, like, like, oh, boy, here we go, right? And I got a text message from Troy as we're sitting on here. He goes, he goes, uh, are you, are, is there something wrong or whatever? So I'm going to have to have a conversation with Troy because he's probably going to be a little upset with me. But, you know, my, my point in that whole deal is I knew that that class was coming north, right? And eventually that was going to happen. And, and Troy loves late models. He does a lot for the sport, a lot for the class. He's passionate about late model racing. And myself, I'm looking at it from the other side going, oh, my goodness. As soon as we bring that class in, now now people are going to get a little taste of it. And they're going like, to be like, oh, maybe we should have this at our track. And, start, and it's just kind of the beginning of something. And I just personally, on a personal side, I really don't want to see that class, you know, come into the, the northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin area. Because, again, I believe we have too many classes so seeing it come in, I mean, if it's just for one show and it's gone, that that's fine. But man, I just I just see the writing on the wall by just introducing them to the area. I, I I'm nervous about that. Let's just put it that way. Sure, Bert. Anything to add? Well, I just wanted to piggyback on to that thought about too many classes. I agree, there are too many classes, and along with there being too many classes, there are too many classes where the cars look the same. I mean, you have your B mods and your A mods, and yeah, one has a spoiler, one doesn't have a spoiler, um, you know, but from a fan's perspective, they're confused, you know, especially a casual fan or somebody who's there for the first time. It's like, how is this division different than these other divisions? I mean, if you're a diehard race fan, you're going to know, but sure. by having so many classes where they where the cars appear the same, it just confuses a casual fan. Boy, you are absolutely correct. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. That it's like these guys were just out here. Why are we? You know, why do we have this long break and misted the track? And here we are with the same class. You know, I just, I, I, I completely but agree. Touch on that. So, just to well, touch on that, Raj. We talked about this the other day. Is that's where the focus needs to be. The focus doesn't need to be pleasing the people that are already race fans. They're coming regardless, right? The focus needs to be on getting new people to the track that haven't already been there, and they're going to be all kinds of confused. And just an example, I went to a track in Illinois here a couple times this year, and the the sound system was non-existent. And I'm not going to mention the track. Hopefully they get it fixed. But I was so confused because they had all kinds of different races going on. Turns out they were trophy dashes. So for, if they don't have a good sound system, if they don't have a good way of communicating to the fans what's going on, people are going to be super confused by just too many classes that look exactly the same. Bert's right on the money. Absolutely. Well, fellas, in the name of time, we got to move on to the last lap here. 
as we're pushing the clock, as always. Uh, just a few tidbits from the week here. Uh, you may have seen, you know, as part of the news on the weekend here, Randy Sweet, who's credited with the rack and pinion steering invention, uh, died on Friday at age 72. Um, of course, he's also teamed up with Scott Bloomquist over the last five years to produce the Sweet Bloomquist race car. Uh, Ryan, I know what a race car is, but I have no idea what a rack and pinion is. Would you? Can you enlighten me? <laughs> oh, that's good stuff, right there. You should run for the Wasota board. You can make rules just like them. <laughs> I'm the perfect guy. Right, right. No, what rack and pinion is? You know, some cars, like a lot of race cars, like modified and so on. They got steering boxes, so your steering shaft goes down to a steering box, and you know all your steering components hooked to that. Rack and pinion, basically all the streetcars nowadays have rack and pinion steering, and it's basically, it takes place in the steering box. So the steering shaft goes to that, and the tie rods that, that actually go to the spindle to turn the tires hook to the rack and pinion. So he was heavily involved with not only rack and pinions, but they had steering boxes, lots of different components, and, and I used their products um, very good product. I mean, Sweet Manufacturing puts out some very high-quality stuff, and I swore by it. And uh, yeah, Randy Sweet, absolute icon in the sport in a lot of different uh, in a lot of different realms. And you know, sad to see him go. And you know, he he really built a legacy there with all that he's done. Yeah. And the other big news: Roger Fenske, the billionaire. Uh, this is last week bought. Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series. Bert, did you happen to catch any of that? I didn't follow it real close. I saw that he bought bought all that, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what transpires from now uh, in, and into the future regarding that. Yeah, another icon in the sport. Of course, you know, being a billionaire, he's got the resources to really grow the thing, and I know he said that he wants to keep NASCAR there. He wants to grow Indy there. He wants to grow the track. I guess they haven't been selling out like they used to, um, but he said that uh, he's got ambitious plans at age 82, um, you know, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and to grow the IndyCar series. And, and from some of the articles I read, it sounds like, you know, he loves going to his NASCAR races, especially when he's in the hunt and, and he's got some drivers that are winning. But I guess, you know, he's really got a jump in his step when he's at those IndyCar series races. So I think his, that is kind of where, you know, that's his first love, so to speak, uh, and NASCAR kind of takes the back seat. So um, with that, you know, I think we'll get close to wrapping up here. I know, uh, like I said, I began podcast talking, you know, whining about deer hunting and not being able to make it to the shack. You know, I think, uh, you know, by the time all of you are listening to this, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, you will all be deer hunting. I'm sorry to our Canadian friends. I'm not sure. Um, when or if uh, you guys get to do your deer hunting. So, um, but, you know, everyone be safe. Have a great time hunting. Have a great time at the shack. And anything, uh, any last thoughts, uh, Bert or Ryan? Well, good luck to you on your hunting. (laughs) Well, I won't be hunting. I'll I'll just be at the shack. I'll just be having a good time with the boys. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want a gun in my hands. My last thought is this. Please don't ever start out another podcast by saying I feel naked because, I'm so <laughs> grateful that this is uh, this is audio, not video, because none of us want to see that. <laughs> this was not a live show. This was not a live show. <laughs> all right, fellas. You know, I appreciate you all. You know, joining me as always, and uh, like John B- Garabedian taught us, everyone out there, be your dream, and you're tuned into the One to Go Show.